Green Side, the IGA podcast. Also, Mike McCoy, the 2013 USA. Johnson, now a two-time major champion after becoming the winner of the 144th Open Championship. Welcome to Greenside, the IGA podcast. Clint here with you. Been a busy week. Lots going on. Uh, Briarwood AM last week. Andrew Huseman, rounds of 66-67 to win by two. Uh, in the senior division of that tournament, Bob Brooks with a playoff win over Curtis Hawk after both players finished at two under par for 36 holes. In the super senior division, our good buddy John Kinsey runs away with it. Rounds of 71-68 for a four-shot win over Scott Hornstein. IJ Women's Mid-Am Series number three held at A.H. Blank Golf Course here in Des Moines. Uh, Four-ball format there. Leanne Smith and Aaron Schaefer shoot a 72 under par to win by two shots. Uh, and in the net division, Sony Hansen and Rebecca Schroeder with a fine net 63 nine under par. Good for a one-shot win. And the highlight of the week, unless you were under a rock maybe, winner of the 66th U.S. Senior Amateur Championship, Iowa's Gene Elliott. Got that elusive USGA Championship. Uh, Country Club of Detroit, uh, Gene earned the 38th seed out of stroke play qualifying and uh, went on to win six matches, including a, a tough match against good buddy and fellow Iowan Mike McCoy in the second round of match play. We're going to try and track down Gene as soon as we can get him on the podcast. Uh want to mention he is now the third person, third amateur player to win the USGA Senior Amateur the U.S. Senior Amateur, the RNA, British Senior Amateur, and the Canadian Senior Amateur Championship in their career. And he's the second person to win both the RNA and USGA Senior Amateurs in the same year. So hats off to Gene, just incredible. And uh, like I said, we look forward to tracking him down once he gets back and gets settled uh, We'll get him on the podcast. We've got the Director's Cup next week, so we'll bring an update to you on that probably late later next week. And uh, Stay tuned online on our website. You can always find out scores and updates and, and stuff there through social media and our website. So, uh, But if you listened to last week's episode, we talked to Jim Cedrill over at Hyperion Field Club, kind of turned back the clock about a year with the Drake Show, and uh, I also had an opportunity to chat with David Eichhorn, golf course superintendent Elmwood Country Club in Marshalltown to get his kind of recap of the last year as his course was severely hit by the derecho as well. So uh, here's that interview and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, here with David Icorn, golf course superintendent at Elmwood Country Club in Marshalltown. David, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I guess before we dig into things here, why don't you introduce yourself and Tell the listeners uh, kind of how you got into the business and, and where you've been uh, in your career. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, this uh, this little story tends to get a little long every once in a while, so I'll try to keep it relatively short. But uh, um, been in the industry now for 19 years. Uh, graduated high school in 2002. Went to Kirkwood for turf grass management uh, that following year and, and got a Got on, got lucky enough to get on a, a job uh, 
right away at Cedar Rapids Country Club working for Tom Feller over there. Okay. And uh, kind of been all over the place, you know, since then. But uh, originally I was wanting to go to school for uh, golf course architecture and uh, found out how long of a program that was and didn't know if I wanted to go to school that long. So I kind of, you know, grew up on a farm kind of, my uh, my dad gave me a, a few acres out in the pasture, and I uh, got to build a couple golf holes with a with a friend of mine back in high school. And you know, like I said, when I figured out how long schooling it was for an architecture program, I said, "Well, why don't I try out this turf turf grass program? Um, it probably would be very beneficial for me to know how to maintain and take care of a golf course." Uh, you know, if I were to ever design one, you know, kind of keep those kind of things in mind. So long story short, went up to Kirkwood, got uh, involved at Cedar Rapids Country Club with Tom Feller there. And I've, I've been in this business ever since on the uh, turf grass side. So um, worked there for eight years or so. Uh, did a stand on a nine hole golf course up in Wacon, Iowa, up in Northeast Iowa. From there, went down to Arizona for about six years. Um, was at a ultra private club down there as an irrigation uh, irrigation tech, and then got an assistant superintendent job at a at a uh, upper high end um, public golf course, and then was with the management company, and they gave me the opportunity to have a superintendent job um, at one of their sister courses. Uh, did that for a while. And then the uh, birth of my uh, first child brought me back to Iowa and had an assistant job at uh, Elmcrest Country Club in Cedar Rapids there. And uh, yeah, now I've been here for this is my second season. So kind of been, you know, all around um, small, large, you know, private, public. So I, I've been blessed to have a, a wide array of, 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 uh, experience in the golf course industry so well i was just gonna say it sounds like you like you said you've had you've had a little bit of everything can you just kind of talk about maybe kind of how you use those experiences from all kind of all kind of levels and you know situations of courses uh kind of in your current situation at elmwood there yeah yeah i can i you know it's kind of always been um this even before i even got into uh, the golf course industry, you know, kind of one of my things was, uh, you know, I obviously grew up mowing yards and, uh, you know, watching major league baseball, you know, and you see the fancy designs and the mowing patterns and, and all the work that they do on the grounds for those deals. You know, I always, you know, there's not a lot of uh, uh, athletes or kids that get to, to experience that all the time as far as, you know, going to D1 colleges or even, you know, any college for that matter to play sports or for, let alone professional sports. So I always had a dream of mine to, uh, you know, to be able to give just, you know, average little league field or uh, a city park, um, just that kind of, that kind of quality of the turf grass side. So, you know, it kind of gives that sense of pride and that kind of excitement, like, oh, we're gonna go play this field. Now that dream never came true, but uh, on the golf course side, with me having the experience of 
being fortunate to work at, at some private clubs that have quite a few resources and being involved with some superintendents who really know how to get some things done and to provide a, you know, what, what I would call a true championship experience, you know, good, good quality experience. Um, I try to mimic that on a lot smaller budget at some of my other places. So, you know, for example, like when, when I, you know, I've had the luck, luxury of consulting with a couple nine hole golf courses, um, you know, and kind of, and this even transpires to how I manage the golf course today, but I always say there's, there's always two places that a, a golfer will absolutely be on any given round in a golf course. And that is every single golfer has to step foot on every single tee box and they eventually will have to step foot on every single green. You know, you could play a round of golf and never be in the rough or in the trees or in, in the sand traps. And you could play a, uh, a round of golf and never see a single fairway, you know, so really focusing on the details of perception around, you know, uh, uh, tees and greens and th that sort of thing that, um, you know, maybe, you know, if you don't have the budget or the labor to, um, you know, to hit every single thing that you want, you know, focus on key aspects that uh, is still going to give a good experience to the golfers. And I think they, in long run, they appreciate that. Um, on the bright side, you know, working at some of the lower budgeting golf courses, you know, you're, you're really stretching, um, stretching a dollar to its max. Sure. Um, so over the years, you know, I think I've, I've figured out some ways to do some things and, and, you know, maybe I don't need to uh, apply my fungicides and, and everything every single two weeks, um, really put a focus on monitoring, you know, weather variations and, and that sort of thing to try to get the most out of, out of my dollar. And that has definitely, definitely helped me uh, here at Elmwood for sure. So. Would you recommend, you know, maybe someone that's looking to get into the industry or maybe is, you know, is in school now, you know, to try and get some of those different experiences, maybe don't just set your, your sights on, Hey, I want to, I want to be at this type of club, maybe, Hey, like let's, you know, try to, and, and if you can, obviously, you know, get some different experiences, go to some different places, some different size places, private, public, that kind of thing. You know, absolutely. Uh, short, short answer. Yes. Um, I think one of my, my biggest regrets uh, looking back is that I didn't take advantage of some of the opportunities uh, myself to travel a little bit more when I was younger and, and uh, you know, didn't have the responsibilities of a family or anything like that, you know. So going out to the East Coast or going down to the South or going up North and going down South uh, to the Southwest, uh, you know, different climates, uh, different resources. Um, you know, I think, you know, especially for our state uh, here in Iowa, um, I don't know if this is still true, but I, I think it is, you know, but we used to have the most nine hole golf courses uh, you know, per capita, I think it was for, for the country or something. Yeah. Like that, I, <laughs> I believe that's still true. Yeah. The last I knew it, it still was. So, and then if you think about it, like every, every little community either has a, a, a nine hole course, or there's a course between, you know, maybe two or three small communities that, you know, pops up and, and has been there for now, you know, 50, 60 years. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's kind of my, um, 
you know, kind of talking to some kids, you know, in high school and stuff. And, um, you know, it's like, Hey, if this is, if this is an interest to you, you know, get started, get started on the, uh, you know, those nine hole golf courses. Cause they're always looking for help. Um, this industry is it's taxing, it's grinding and it's, you know, make sure you really have a passion for, for what lies ahead. Um, and it, you know, it also, like I said, it kind of gives you that experience of, of doing without and how to, how to produce a product without having all the resources. Um, and on the grants, you know, on the other end of it, you know, you know, going towards, you know, those super uh, high end or private clubs with the resources they have, you know, I've been, you know, I've been able to look back and say, okay, um, you know, kind of keep myself centered in a way, been like, you know, we're putting out a really good product for, uh, for, you know, for what we have. So sure. um, diversify your experience as much as possible. I would, would greatly, you know, it greatly helps out for sure. Looking back, I mean, were you as a high school student, were you kind of thinking of, of going, you, you mentioned the architecture, but did you get involved with maybe some horticulture classes and, and that, you know, nursery landscape, that kind of stuff as a high schooler or, or not so much? No, not so much. Okay. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up on a, I went, I guess not a farm per se, but an acreage. My parents had about 65 acres. So we just had, uh, we mostly had a little bit of cattle and kind of rented out most of the pasture for hay and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, um, you know, a lot of my friends were farmers. Uh, one of my good friends uh, had a big dairy operation. So kind of grew up around the, you know, the ag side of, of Iowa business, sure. you know, my whole life. Um, and ultimately, you know, like I, I grew up in Southern Iowa, graduated with 42 kids, yep. um, you know, schools, schools have, have differed, you know, they've changed quite a bit since, uh, since I graduated. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of those opportunities to, um, you know, to take a few of those classes, but, uh, you know, if they, if they were, I, I could have definitely seen myself, you know, more gravitating towards more of that myself. Yes. Sure. Okay. I was just curious about that. I have some friends that are, they're in the business and they, you know, were, were able to, you know, have some opportunities kind of in some ag classes and they, you know, kind of found that niche and it was like, Hey, this is, you know, something I think I want to do. So I was just curious if that was something that, you know, you, you kind of gravitated early on or if not. So, um, so kind of one of the questions I had, uh, David, what, uh, what are, would you say are some of the common denominators that you've, you've seen in your experience, you know, at the different levels of, of courses and different types of courses within, you know, being a superintendent? Well, uh, the main one for sure is, um, you know, a superintendent can only be as good as a staff. Um, and by that, you know, I, you know, you can, you're going to work yourself to death from that nine hole, you know, level. When I was up there, I had a couple of very good retired guys that I could count on that really helped me out, you know, just as far as mowing greens or, you know, mowing fairways, helped me change cups every once in a while. If it wasn't for those guys, there'd be a lot of times that stuff just would not get done where I'd be working, you know, 20 hours a day. Um, and that goes, you know, all the way up, 
up the levels of the golf courses. If, if a superintendent does not have a good team in place um, that, you know, he can't trust to rely on that, uh, uh, you know, to build a, build a culture around, ultimately, I don't think uh, they're going to be successful. Um, yeah, I think any, any uh, good superintendent would say that right away. Um, you know, it's just the culture, the, the respect that you share amongst each other, the camaraderie, the teamwork, um, you know, it takes a village to, to get a lot of things done and, and do things the right way. And, and, uh, I'm very fortunate to have that here. Um, I would say that is probably the number one, you know, common denominator for successful golf courses. That, that definitely makes sense. Um, so looking back a little over a year now, Iowa just gets hammered with the derecho. Um, I guess start off. Did you, did you have any idea of kind of what was coming your way? I mean, were you getting any, you know, were you talking to any other superintendents that were maybe a little farther West than you and kind of like, Hey, get, get ready. Or, or was it not so much? <laughs> uh, um, well, kind of the precursor to that whole thing was, you know, we were, uh, Marshalltown where Elmwood is located. It's my, you know, the two years, you know, everybody has their proverbial bubble around their town or golf course. Sure. Um, but it just seems like Marshalltown is, is the epicenter of the bubble until the bubble is no longer there. Um, so precursor to the derecho, we were in the midst of, a of a pretty good drought. Um, we were supposed to have several bouts of rain um, that just never transpired, never got here, went over us, north, south, whatever it may be. So we were pretty dry uh, due to COVID. Most of our events had been pushed back to uh, the fall. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this was actually, uh, the derecho was the beginning of our member guest week. So uh, member guest was supposed to be the Thursday, Friday, Saturday of that week. Um, we were out doing our normal prep, I would say, mowing wise, getting everything mowed out on Monday to get a few cultural practices done on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, uh, JG and Edel, our golf pro here had, had called me and he goes, Hey man, there's, we got a big storm coming. And, uh, I kind of laughed him off. I said, yeah, right. And, and I said, you know, how many times have we heard that this year? Yeah. I was going to say, you've heard, the, you've <laughs> seen this movie before. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, no, man, for real. Have you checked the radar? And I, I said, Jay, I've seen the radar a thousand times this year. It, it won't get here. And he's like, all right, all right. So he kind of let me go. And I would say within 15 minutes, um, our general manager, Corey Strait, who uh, resides in Ames still, uh, called me and said, hey, man, there's a, there's a big storm coming your way. And I said, Jay, just, Jay, just uh, mentioned that to me. And uh, he was like, no, I'm being serious. I'm in Ames and it's, it's pretty bad. It's coming straight for you guys. So it was at that time I uh, uh, called off my crew and I kind of instructed everybody. I was like, Hey, let's head back to the shop and uh, we'll meet up. I'll meet you guys there in about 10 minutes. And, uh, I was trying to wrap up a few things. So I called him. I had another phone call from another member and I called a couple of the guys at the shop and I said, Hey, get the chainsaws ready. And they're like, what? 
I said, just get the chainsaws ready. And uh, I headed back to the shop and they're sitting there like, what do you want us to get the saws ready? And I said, well, I have a history with member guest events. Something always happens every year I've been in the business on member guest week. And I said, you know, my luck or our luck is that we're going to lose a couple trees. And they said, oh, well, I hope not. So then we kind of heard that the storm was really coming. So I sent everybody home and uh, said, we'll reassess tomorrow. And lo and behold, after it was all done, uh, you know, we lost over 300 trees and it was a, it was a mess. So <laughs> yes, I had some warning sure. beforehand. Uh, I just, I didn't believe it. Just no, <laughs> I had no idea to the extent of it. And you, you, yeah. probably, you probably looking back, you probably would have said, okay, I'll, you know, if a couple of trees go down, I'll, I'll take that, I guess. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, you know, I, obviously for me, um, being my second year, um, the storm, the storm was the storm, you know, it's kind of just something we always face kind of, you know, uh, working in this industry, something happens, you clean it up and you move on. Right. But what I didn't, uh, what I didn't, I guess, don't know what the word is exactly. I'm trying to look for is try to figure out, you know, I didn't understand the sentimental value of, uh, a, a lot of the, the trees and the history and, and what it was, with a lot of the Elmwood members, uh, just because, you know, they'd been members here for 40 or 50 years. Sure. Um, and I tried to tell them, you know, before that we had, we had talked extensively when I first got here about being pretty aggressive with some tree removal around tees and greens. Um, that previous spring, uh, we had cut down 65 trees and altogether we were going to probably take like another 60 to 60 to 70. Um, and so, you know, the, the plan was not to take down another 300 plus, right. you know, so, right. um, you know, that was, that was something that I was, you know, and I, I would tell everybody too, I, you know, I don't mind cutting up trees. I don't mind knocking down a few trees, but that was, that was a little mentally taxing and exhausting to look at, especially your first year. Um, you know, you're at a, you know, your every club was kind of in the same boat. You know, how are we going to survive this this pandemic and right. get our revenues up? And so, uh, it was it was an experience that I've never had, storm wise, and just emotionally and, and mentally. You know, um, but you know, we went to work the next day. Um, you know, credit to my crew; they didn't. You know, we got a couple guys that have been here a lot, a lot of years. And, you know, these guys, they didn't hesitate. They didn't uh, complain about hours. They didn't complain about the heat. Um, very lucky to have a, have a member that helped us out quite a bit with, uh, you know, some equipment and, and hauling off lumber as well. So um, the club was very understanding, you know, and, uh, you know, said, take the time that you need. We were ultimately closed for a little over four weeks, I think four or five weeks. And uh, I thought, it, I thought for sure we were, going to be closed for the rest of the year, but, um, yeah, we just buckled down and got things done. I think we, you know, we still had time to, to work on a few things at the end of last fall. So turned out to be good. 
Yeah, I uh, I was able to to talk with one of your colleagues, Jim Cedrill, over at Hyperion Field Club about his experience with the derecho. But David, kind of where were you located during the storm? I guess, and I mean, were you able to kind of get an idea of of how bad it was right away, or was it a matter of you know kind of hunkered down until it was over and then kind of assess things? Um, yeah, physically, I was I was still on property. Um, we had uh, so my staff was all gone. Uh, there were still a couple uh, clubhouse employees that were here. Uh, JJNL, the golf pro himself, was here, one of his staff members. And then we had the, the high school golf team was still here because they were out practicing uh, before that. Sure. Uh, so initially, I was, if you've ever been out to Elmwood, you know, we got, we got this little veranda that overlooks our 18th green. And I was initially just out on the veranda until, you know, a big gust came and all the patio furniture flew off the, uh, off the veranda. So, you know, kind of went back inside and we were downstairs for a while and uh, went back upstairs and uh, you know, the rain was coming down so hard horizontally that you couldn't see a whole lot, but we had a flagpole right outside of our uh, pro shop. And uh, when the rain kind of died down, you know, you could see that the flagpole was basically bent to a 90 degree angle. And I had made a mention. I was like, Oh my goodness. I think that big, oak tree by number one tee box is gone and you know it's still coming down we couldn't we couldn't really see but as soon as it kind of we'd have gaps where it would kind of you know dumb down a little bit um and you could then start seeing the amount of debris every single time it would uh lessen up a little bit was getting more and more and more so we knew we knew before it was even done that we were we were in for some major cleanup that it was going to be a pretty, pretty bad deal. So. Well, like you said, it's something that obviously you've, you've never experienced before, but well, I guess what were kind of some of the things is you were able to get out onto the course. You, you, you saw kind of your first, I guess, impressions. And, and I mean, I'm sure it was overwhelming at first. It was, you know, it was uh walk the golf course uh, with our golf pro. Um, uh you know, my initial reaction was just, how are we going to be able to, to do this as far as where as, do we begin? Yeah. yeah where do we begin? Yeah. What are the priorities? Uh, yeah. obviously I knew, you know, the main thing was the, Hey, we got to get all the greens cleared off. Um, uh, not so much worried about tree damage to the greens at this point. Let's just get the, let's get our bent grass surfaces. So tee boxes and greens cleared off. Um, Fairways at the time during the drought uh, were already kind of were hampered with some turf loss. So those weren't going to be a main priority, but um, that was going to be our next deal. And then kind of, you know, we'll let's get the trees down. Let's get them cleaned up. We'll deal with stumps and that sort of thing at a later time. Um, but, you know, initially we we had kind of started talking about uh you know, doing some restoration work or renovation work. We called it restoration, renovation, modernization of the golf course beforehand. And we are essentially just going to go back and redo our current bunkers and then implement uh, original bunkers that were taken out uh, over the years. And, you know, so after that initial walk around, kind of wrap my brain around the game plan the next day went back out with uh with JR Golf Pro and it kind of almost 
gave us like a clean slate. You know, we could see sight lines. We, you know, we didn't have to sell a, a vision of the clubhouse from our second green or this sort of thing. So it was almost kind of invigorating in a sense um, to help, you know, to, to get the place cleaned up because there was so much new sight lines and shot variations and, and ideas that we could throw around. So, um, you know, those first couple walk arounds, like I said, were, were stressful, were, were taxing mentally, but they kind of almost became a, a bright spot and kind of gave us the energy we needed to, to get the place cleaned up. So. So you mentioned you guys were, were closed for, you know, four or five weeks. What kind of, what, what did those look like? Are you just kind of starting at one end of the course and kind of working your way the other way? What kind of give me an idea of what that kind of timeline and, and kind of what went on in those, you know, periods when you guys were closed. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what we did. Um, you know, we, uh, we ended up getting a tree company out of Wisconsin, uh, to come down and, and, and help us at least get some of the trees down on the ground that uh, needed to come down. And then some of the bigger ones that were already on the ground, get those, get those cut up. So uh, the main focus for myself and the staff in the first week or so was, uh, was just what I said earlier was clean up the greens, mm -hmm. greens and tees. That was first priority. Um, no real order, just, you know, I, other than, you know, like 18, we knew was covered pretty heavily and, Let's go get the ones that are covered the most, get those off first. And, and uh, other than that, we just started uh, going down the, started going down the road. We started on one, um, worked our way, you know, around the, uh, would be the west side of the golf course down in between two and three, four and five, uh, working those corridors and, and this wrapped way back around and then did the same thing on the backside. So it was just try to try to stay, you know, kind of focused and just try to have a plan. So you were seeing progress instead of bouncing around. Um, front nine, our, our initial goal was let's, you know, let's get, uh, get the front nine open, which is why we started going that route first, because, uh, uh, you know, the goal was if we can't, if we're going to be closed for an extended period of time, maybe we could get nine holes open for members to come out and enjoy, um, rather than, you know, keep it closed the whole time. Uh, our back nine greens were grass three years ago, so they're still kind of fairly new. Um, so we thought it'd be more beneficial to get the front nine open for the members to play on. Um, and it just, it just worked out that, you know, we, we were able to get it cleaned up in a timely manner of, a certain, you know, a certain timely manner that we didn't have to open up a certain nine at a certain time. So that all kind of worked out, but yeah, just kind of, you know, weave our way around the golf course order play and, and uh, that's about how we did it. Well, as, as fall was kind of nearing and, you know, I'm sure you have things that you do, you know, annually leading into the fall or leading into the off season. Did you, did you kind of feel a sense that you were kind of up against a deadline of sorts of, of getting things cleaned up or was it more of just, Hey, day by day, we're just going to keep, keep at this and, you know, and, and, and tackle it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, it was just a, it was a day by day type of thing. Um, I've pushed almost all of our irrification uh, type deals into middle or late October. Um, so that wasn't a concern of mine. 
Um, there was a sense of urgency in the fact that we knew we were probably going to have to uh, regress some fairways last fall. Um, and then with the amount of traffic that we're putting on them, you know, where we're going to be able to get all the fairways receded. Um, but, you know, kind of, you know, kind of keep that long-term goal in mind, but uh, just go at it day by day was, was the main key. Like I said, our, our biggest cultural practices, the airification wise was, was already moved from August normally. To, and we, I decided to move that to October anyways, just, that's just kind of when I typically like to do that. So that wasn't a concern. Um, you know, as far as, uh, tournaments and stuff wise, we knew those were kind of lost. So sure. that wasn't, that wasn't going to be another time crunch either. So, um, for the most part, you know, once you kind of wrapped your head around it and kind of just started plotting away, um, things just kind of fell into place and they just kind of, you know, kind of flowed naturally. And we were still able to get a lot of things accomplished that we wanted to in the fall. Um, there wasn't too much stress on not getting things done that we had planned to get done. I would say. Well, you mentioned you lose, you lost so many trees. I mean, is it safe to say, you know, for someone that hasn't been up there since, I mean, was pretty much every hole impacted, I guess is the word. Uh, yes. Yeah. Every single hole was impacted. Um, I mean, I would say hole 13 was probably our least impacted hole, but in regards of to where the trees actually came into play, it was, it was heavily influenced on, on, on the one side. So, um, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, um, you know, and I hate to just throw numbers around, sure. but I, you know, it, it seems to me like, you know, 70%, you know, of, of the trees are, the trees that were in play are, are pretty much gone. So okay. uh, one in 10 was heavily influenced. Uh, the two, three, uh, four and five corridors there were heavily influenced seven and eight. Um, the hillside on number nine, um, 11 drastically influenced. Um, and then we get on the backside, you know, we had holes uh, over like on, on 14, uh, to where the whole right hand side of the hillside was was tree covered there's there's I don't there's one tree over there now um, okay so yeah every single hole was was pretty pretty drastically altered it would be completely different if somebody has played out here in the last five years but not since the derecho they, they would be they'd be shocked okay um, and, and you kind of mentioned, you know, maybe a silver lining. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, kind of, kind of gave you a blank slate. Can you just kind of talk about, you know, kind of what that's looking like? I know you guys got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, maybe you've been able to, to do some things that you, maybe you kind of had in your back of your mind with your, you know, your architecture, you know, kind of background a little bit, something you kind of enjoy and, and want to do. If you just kind of talk about that a little bit, maybe with, with, uh, the course. Yeah. Um, so as previously mentioned, um, you know, for, for those that haven't played Elmwood or, or, or ever been to Elmwood or seen it lately, uh, I think the golf course is, is, is rare in the fact, um, you know, we're pretty landlocked, but we, 
even with some addition of some new tee boxes, we, we only measure out to be 6,100 6, yards. So it's, it's relatively short by today's technology standards for golf courses. Um, we knew that we wanted to implement some, put back in old bunkers that were taking out, uh, you know, several years ago over the course of, of the club um, to kind of make some of those holes uh, more relevant and to still kind of play by the same shot values that they were originally intended. Um, and so, you know, once that was kind of the plan going in pre-storm and then once the storm happened, um, we knew we had to do a little, little bit more. Um, we, uh, have a gentleman by the name of David Hoekstra, who's from Pella, um, who does some golf course renderings and, um, he came up and we did a, a walk around and we talked about uh, strategically placing a few new bunkers and, uh, into places. Um, we also brought up the idea of um, putting in these scrub waste areas, as, as we call them. So they're sandy pockets of, of waste sand, you know, of, of bunkers. So they're not formal bunkers, but they're waste bunkers and natural, you know, native grasses growing up through them and whatever else. So we try to strategically place those around the uh, corridors or corners of holes where we drastically lost a lot of trees. Um, so in between one and 10, for example, it's, it's placed, uh, basically as a risk reward shot from the back tee box, where if a guy wants to try to, uh, cut this dog leg that he would have previously been unable to do so because of trees, that that shot is there. Um, if he executes, he's going to be rewarded. If he's not, he's he or she, you know, they're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Um, so we've incorporated quite a few of those around the property. Um, we are partially way through our bunker renovation and uh, implementation. So uh, we're going to keep plugging along on that this fall. We start back up October 4th. Uh, we'll be doing holes 17, 18, 1, 4, and 5. Um, so just trying to get, you know, some of the classic looking, rugged looking bunkers that would have been from 1918 when 1920, when the course was, was, uh, was uh, built out here. So. Well, and I'm sure a lot of things are weather dependent, David, but to, do you kind of have an idea of kind of when you want to have, you know, kind of the restoration things not done? Cause I'm sure it's always ongoing, but yeah. can you kind of just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to continue again this fall. Um, like I said, we'll be doing holes 18, 17, 18, one, uh, four and five. Um, we also have to, um, part of this, uh, renovation, restoration, modernization is, is regressing of our front nine greens. Okay. Uh, I would say 90% of our tee boxes have already been regressed or converted from a, a blue rye mix to, to bent grass. We still have a few of those to touch up. We kind of been working on a few of those throughout the season. So uh, they started this process three years ago before I got here. Uh, they expanded all the greens back out to the original fill pads on the back nine. And number one, um, they incorporated um, 
a unique feature that's not seen a whole lot around the state of Iowa, but uh, the greens, some of the greens had uh, quite a few square edges or square fronts on the greens. So uh, we still have that process to continue on the front nine. So next fall, we will be uh, killing off our front nine greens and expanding those back out to the original fill pads, regrassing those. Um, bunker work, we might do some slight bunker work next fall, we'll kind of see how the, uh, the bunker or the greens are going. And then that'll be 22. And then in 2023, we should be wrapping up with uh, what it will be uh, the end of our bunkers. So we'll still have holes seven and eight and 15, 14, 13 to do and 16. And uh, we have in the plans also incorporating about a, a, a one acre, little under one acre putting course slash green slash 18 green combo. So um, kind of be kind of our grand, the grand piece of Elmwood. Um, like I said, if you've never been to Elmwood, you know, the clubhouse kind of sits up on top of hill, kind of looks out upon the golf course. And you have this little backdrop on the backside of the clubhouse where, you know, your, your putting green, your 18th green kind of is. And it would just be a great setting, uh, built-in stadium seating with the clubhouse for the practice screen that will be able to give us a lot of sh shot variations and, and differ the hole quite a bit, different looks. And um, yeah, just getting kind of keeping up to date with what a lot of golf courses are doing now, providing uh, children and women and, and elderly people an opportunity to stay involved in the game by putting out these putting golf, these putting golf courses. So we kind of envision having nine holes on this putting green that can vary, you know, daily and play from a different, different angles that can change however you want and, and try to keep people involved. So hopefully with weather depending and everything goes according to plan, um, kind of hopefully be wrapping up the majority of our work by the fall of 2023. And then at that point, you know, there's, there's going to probably hopefully be some more work. Uh, we just completed a facility master plan as well. That would involve, uh, moving our maintenance facility, uh, possibly work for our driving range, short game area, uh, clubhouse renovations, new pool, parking lot, tennis courts. Um, so there'll be all kinds of landscaping work and kind of stuff involved with that. Um, we're still kind of talking around maybe a short course, possibly somewhere. Uh, but we get, you know, we're only on about 115 acres. So we're trying to maximize our land and get as much value for the golfers and for our members as possible and give them a lot of different options to, to be involved with the game of golf. Well, David, it sounds like a lot of exciting things going on at, at Elmwood country club. And, and like you said, if a, if a person or golfer hasn't been out there for, for a while, they need to need to stop by and, and check things out. Don't they? They, they do. Yes. Um, it's a, it's uh, I, I may be a little biased now because I work here, but it is sure. a very, very fun golf course. Um, and I think it challenges everybody's of all, of all skill sets. Um, I think it is kind of what you make of it. You know, if you want to try different shot values, you want to try to have some fun uh, creating your own shots. Um, what's the golf course for you? If you just want to come out and play with your friends and not worry about your score, Elmwood's a very fun golf course to do that as well. So um, like I said, it's, it's unique in the fact that, you know, I think we're really trying to do something different in the state 
Um, it's a different look. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's a it's a place that you know everybody should probably come play once a year if they have the opportunity. Well, David, I want to thank you for taking the time to to join the podcast. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, and uh, good luck the rest of the season, and and we'll uh, see you down the trail. Awesome, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Take care. Mm-hmm.